Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Hebrews 10.26 says, For when we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This verse has troubled, frightened, confused, and perplexed countless genuine children of God for centuries. What is the real meaning and focus of this sober warning from the book of Hebrews? We will explore it today on our Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. Ron Kangas is with us again today to assist in the exploration of this critical and even intriguing portion of Hebrews. Ron, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for asking me to make a contribution to the understanding of this critical portion. Ron, we have previously talked on this program about the fact that the book of Hebrews is often skipped, if not purposely avoided, by many Christians. We've also seen that the book contains several serious warnings to the recipients of the writing, and surely today we will look at one of the most serious and most sober of these warnings. I hope that I'm not engaging in mere idle speculation here, Ron, but is it possible that one of the reasons for the neglect of this book could be these warnings and the inability of many Christians to understand them and their relevance to us as believers. You ask me about what is possible, and I dare not say that it's not possible. Rather, I believe this is one of the reasons that Christians tend to neglect a serious reading and study of Hebrews. Some of the passages are kind of frightening. And some are meant to be sober warnings, and some are frightening to us unnecessarily because we lack the proper view. However, I would seize this opportunity to say that I feel the more prevailing reason believers tend to neglect this book is that it's plain difficult. It's hard. Uh, it's solid food. It's the word of righteousness. And many do not have the appetite for this. And many simply have not grown in the Lord sufficiently to have the capacity to enter into the deep thought of this book. This is why we need the life study of Hebrews to open up the book to us so that we can explore it further ourselves as we seek to know the Lord as he is revealed in this marvelous, yet somewhat mysterious epistle. Let's join Witness Lee now with this very interesting and very important life study from Hebrews. In this book, my, you have five warnings. Now the fourth warning is in chapter 10, verse 26. 
For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. We have to find out what does it mean to sin willfully. Then, for you to understand this, you have to go back to the previous verse. Go back to verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Aha. To miss the meeting is to sin willfully. These Hebrew Christians, they were Christians and they were also Judaizers. By that time, they were on the edge. Either to forsake the church and go back to Judaism, or to forsake Judaism and come on with the church. And where is the church? The church is in the assembly. If those Hebrew believers would not go to the assembly, that means go to the meeting anymore, that means what? That means they forsake the church. This is a willful sin. If you sin willfully, after you have received the knowledge of the truth, going back to Judaism to offer the sacrifice for sin, you have to know there remained no more sacrifice for sin. This is the right meaning. It doesn't mean your sins will not be forgiven. Your sins will not be remitted. It doesn't mean that way. Could you understand me? I have told you all the knowledge of the truth that the times were over. Now is Christ. You have to go to the church. You have to stick yourself with the church. If you don't go to church meeting, that means you forsake the church. And this means what? This means you willfully sin and go back to Judaism to offer the sacrifice for sin. But you have to know today that is over. No more sacrifice of sin like that can still remains. Now you understand. All here it indicates that the Hebrew Christians shouldn't go back to the old duties, to the altar, to offer the sacrifice of sin again. If they do this, they despise the sin of God in whom they believed. If they do this, it means they put the sin of God under their feet. And they count the blood of Christ common as the blood of all the other sacrifices. This is the right meaning. Not only so. And has been despite unto the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace is in you. Working, moving, anointing. You don't listen to him. Rather, you just despise him. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Not the sinners here. His people. The Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
This is the warning, the false warning. Ron, over the years, I've heard this passage referred to many times by Christians, usually in the form of a question as to who and what action or condition this verse applies to. Cover these aspects, if you would, as you relate to us just what we are seeing today. Let me begin by pointing out what we are not seeing. We are not seeing evidence that a genuine, regenerated child of God can lose his or her salvation. We are not seeing teaching that says that if we deliberately disobey the Lord and sin, we can't be forgiven because the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross does not cover this. Strictly speaking, this passage is not concerned with the security of our salvation, an issue still debated by Calvinists and Arminians, the former saying we're eternally secure, which is true, and the latter claiming that No, uh, we can lose our salvation. I want to say here that when we are truly uh, brought to faith in the Lord Jesus and receive him, we are born of God, we are regenerated. It is absolutely impossible to be unborn, right? We can't be unborn. It can't be reversed. Then what is going on here? Briefly, the situation is that the Hebrew believers, probably in Jerusalem, were suffering persecution for their faith. And some of them, in the midst of this persecution, were considering or actually engaging in a return to Judaistic temple worship with the sacrifices. The knowledge of the truth here is the knowledge that Christ as the sin offering has replaced all the offerings with himself. Actually, all the old things of the old covenant have been replaced. We are now in the new covenant, and Christ is everything to us. If someone, under the pressure of persecution, sins in a particular sense of going back to temple worship, going back to offer the blood of bulls and goats, that one will discover there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins or for sins of that kind. The animal sacrifices have been replaced by the unique once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. So this verse is not saying that if you sin, there no longer remains a sin offering, Christ himself, to be the basis on which you may be forgiven of your sin. This is saying, if an enlightened believer deliberately goes back to the old covenant to worship in the temple, to offer the blood of animals as sin offerings, there will be no longer a sacrifice for sins. This verse, therefore, is speaking to the situation of the Hebrew believers, not to the issue of whether one can lose one's salvation. The whole Bible, in particular, the whole New Testament, reveals that 
the all-inclusive death of Christ on the cross deals with the totality of our sin. If we do sin, according to 1 John, we can confess our sin, and God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin. We need to be certain of this. The dear brothers and sisters listening to this program need to have the assurance that if you have failed the Lord, if you have rebelled against Him, but now you have been convicted by the Spirit, you may return to Him, confess your sin, and receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. Don't let the enemy use this verse to defraud you of what is yours in God's complete salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Ron, it is a real joy to be able to bring such a freeing and liberating message to God's people. And this freedom and this liberation are based on the truth, not based upon our sentiment, not based upon our desire to relieve people's burdens. That's not the basis for this kind of fellowship. It's based upon the truth. And the truth is, in the new covenant, the Lord is committed to forgive our sins and to remember them no more. So we need to stand on the word, rightly interpreted, and draw forward to God in faith, confess what we know to confess, and receive a fresh application of the precious cleansing blood of Jesus. With that freeing and liberating word, there does come also a warning that does pertain to us. Let's join Witness Lee. Then we go on to chapter 12. The fifth warning, verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exaltation, which speaks unto you as unto children, my son despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Verse 7, If you endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. Verse 8, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye pastors and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. Verse 10, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, that means our Heavenly Father, for all profit that we might be partakers of his holy nature. This kind of chastisement we received of the Father helps us to grow, help us to partake of more his holy nature. Verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seem to be joyous, but give us. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You may use such a good term, chastisement, scourging. You may use, actually, any kind of a chastisement is a punishment. Sometimes the father do say, son, I'm going to punish you. If you don't behave yourself, <laughs> I'm going to punish you. And this punishment doesn't mean he's lost. And no father in the punishment would kill the son. <laughs> I never saw such a father. 
But I saw many fathers punishing, punishing the children. Now you understand, don't think when we will be punished by our Heavenly Father, that affects our eternal salvation. That has nothing to do with the eternal salvation. It doesn't affect. Our eternal security would be more secured because our Father deals with us as his dear sons, not as bastards. But now, the problem is this. Do you believe our Father only deals with us in this present age, not in the coming age? I point out this again and again, because we all have been dropped with the old teaching that if you don't behave yourself, our Father may correct you today. But once you die, and the Lord comes back, and you'll be resurrected, everything will be okay. After the Lord's coming back and the resurrection, there'll be no more correction. No more chastisement. I tell you, this is a deceiving teaching. As we have seen this morning already, Rather, in both Matthew and Luke, the Lord Jesus tells us clearly that at his coming back, when the Lord comes back, he will beat some of his slothful servants. That was a chastisement, not in this age, but in the next age. This is, again, the pure word. So what? What would you choose? Would you choose the chastisement now or then? Ron, a clear word of righteousness here. As believers, we do have a relationship with a loving yet righteous God. We've talked before, Ron, about the concept of reward and punishment, particularly as it relates to us as believers in the coming millennial kingdom age. How does this interpretation differ from the Roman Catholic teaching of purgatory? The teaching in Hebrews and elsewhere in the scriptures concerning reward and punishment has nothing to do with the issue of our eternal salvation. The matter of salvation is settled forever through the Lord's grace and our faith in the person and work of Christ. The notion of a purgatory is a confusion. It is an evil mixture. It is not a clear teaching concerning reward and punishment in the millennial kingdom. Rather, it is a confusion related to the basis of our eternal salvation. There is no work, no suffering, no punishment, no discipline that we can uh, go through or offer God that will contribute anything to our salvation. Christ has done it all, and he's done it once for all, and we receive it by grace through faith. When we leave this physical realm in death, we are either saved or we're not. We don't go to a place to suffer for a while in order to merit salvation. 
So we reject utterly the Catholic concept of purgatory. We also reject the argument utterly that to teach as the Bible does that there will be a reward of various kinds for the believers and that those rewards will be meted out at the judgment seat of Christ, we reject the notion that this is purgatory in another guise. That is utterly false. Salvation is eternal and secure. But we have an accountability to a holy and righteous God. And God will evaluate our life and our work to determine whether or not we receive a positive reward that is reigning with Christ in the kingdom or a negative reward that is dispensational punishment for a period of time during the kingdom age. We regret that this brief span of time does not allow us to give a thorough and accurate a definition of this, but we believe these preliminary words, although insufficient, point in the right direction, and we urge our listeners, study the word again, read the word again, and listen to the exposition offered in this life study, and evaluate it in the light of the pure, infallible word of God, and see how you feel after careful, diligent, unbiased study. We believe you'll agree that this presentation is faithful, accurate, and true. Ron, let's rejoin Witness Lee for the conclusion of our life study. Now you understand what does it mean to enter into the Sabbath rest. You know, this book in the Bible tells us a few times, many times I would say, that Christ is sitting there. To sit there means what? To rest. Christ today is sitting in the heavens enjoying a Sabbath. He's sitting there. Today is a Sabbath day because a church has been produced. A church is here for God's satisfaction. But we have a danger. We may be away from this church life. Run the proper church life, the kingdom, and the second better Sabbath are all connected in this portion. Many dear brothers and sisters in the Lord may have little idea of what these refer to, especially in this linkage. What is the relevance to us in a word like this? Let's say that the relevance is of two kinds. And these two kinds of relevance are related to two ages. The present age, the age of grace, the age of the proper church life. And also, it's relevant to our situation in the coming age, which is not eternity, but the age of the kingdom. Concerning the first, Christ himself is our Sabbath. He is the reality of the Sabbath. But in Hebrews, this marvelous rest is not only in Christ himself, but it's related to the house of God, to the building of God, to the proper church life. If we understand this portion of Hebrews rightly, we will have a higher esteem for the genuine church life revealed in the New Testament. 
It makes a tremendous difference in our spiritual life, whether or not we are in today's Sabbath rest, which Sabbath rest is in Christ with the church. Second, there is a rest not only in this age, but a rest in the coming age and, of course, ultimately a rest in eternity. The rest in the coming age is the Sabbath rest in the kingdom, during which time Christ as the firstborn, we brothers, will be reigning on the earth. Will you participate in the Sabbath rest during the kingdom? This question is pending for us all. The way into that kingdom rest is through the rest in the present age, which rest is in the church life as God's building. Those to whom this epistle was addressed were in danger of forsaking the present rest in the church life and thereby risking their participation in the future rest in the kingdom age. The principle is the same with all believers today. God has in his economy an ordained way concerning the Christian life and the church life. If we follow God's ordained way, especially concerning the, the church life, we will enter into rest. By being in this rest today, enjoying Christ as everything to us as revealed in Hebrews, we have, I believe, the best opportunity of being prepared to enter into the rest in the coming kingdom. God means business to carry out his economy. We're not saved just to be saved. We're saved to be brought back to God that we may be one with him now in this age for the carrying out of his eternal purpose. If we are, we will enter into the kingdom rest. If not, the age of the kingdom will not be a rest to us. Rather, it will be a time of discipline. We all need to pay attention to this. We all need to wake up. We all need to hear what the Lord is saying to us through this important, crucial, and most significant portion of the Word of God. Ron, in our fellowship today, I believe we've been relieved, we've been sobered, and we've been encouraged. There is a way for us to enter into this rest. There is indeed, and the Lord is our high priest, as our Joshua, as our good land, as our all-sufficient grace, as the author and perfecter of our faith. This wonderful one is prepared to minister himself to us as everything, that we may enjoy the rest in this age, in the coming age, and in eternity. Praise him. Thank you, Ron. Our life study of Hebrews continues tomorrow with Witness Lee. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll free 
at one triple eight life study. That's one eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. Thanks for listening.